If you like speedrunning the newest release or binging every episode the second it drops, then why are you waiting for all your news? Check out IGN's updated Games and Entertainment News Podcast. We're dropping new episodes in your feed all day to keep you up to date the minute there's a new announcement. Find IGN Games and Entertainment News wherever you listen. From Transport Topics in Washington, D.C., this is Road Signs. Here is your host, Seth Clevenger. Thank you for listening to Road Signs, the podcast series from Transport Topics that explores the trends and technologies that are shaping the future of trucking. In this episode, we're going to examine the potential for hydrogen fuel cell technology in the transportation industry. In recent years, truck makers and industry suppliers have been investing in a variety of cleaner fuels and zero emission powertrains as shippers, carriers, and government regulators look for ways to reduce carbon emissions in the supply chain. Hydrogen fuel cell trucks, which convert hydrogen into electricity to run an electric powertrain, have emerged as one of the more promising technology pathways to zero emissions. But how, where, and when can these vehicles fit into the freight transportation industry? We'll set out to answer that question in this episode. But before we begin, I'd like to invite you to keep up to date on this topic and other important industry issues by subscribing to Transport Topics at ttn.ws slash ttsubscribe. You can also text ttsubscribe to 571-622-0001. And now, to learn more about the development of hydrogen fuel cell trucks, I'm excited to welcome Parker Meeks, CEO of Hyzon Motors. Thanks for joining us, Parker. Thanks for having me. So hydrogen fuel cell technology is one of the pathways to zero tailpipe emissions in trucking. So this technology has been introduced in passenger cars as well, but it hasn't really taken off in the automotive space. So why do you feel this is a good fit for heavy-duty commercial trucks? Look, it's a, it's a great question and one that we deal with every day uh, with the fleets that are thinking about which technology um, they need to drive forward in their lower carbon future. And it's pretty simple, actually. You know, hydrogen is the right answer where there's um, heavy-duty vehicles that need to carry freight a long way, carry a lot of freight that long distance and that need to stay on the road as much as possible. When you look at trucking, there's a few things that that we think shape the optimal solution for fleets across the, the technology spectrum. The first is just the fact that trucking generally is a low margin business, right? So uptime for trucks, how much freight they can carry, all that really matters to the profitability of that truck. And in the end, while fleets, many fleets now have board level you know, ESG mandates and decarbonization goals, they in the end have to have a program that, that, that maintains the profitability down to the, um, the truck level. So fuel cell typically outperforms other true zero solutions like battery electric, where you've got trucks that need to carry a lot of weight. A typical class eight battery truck is between, you know, three and 6,000 pounds heavier than a fuel cell truck. That's real revenue. That's real margin. You take 6,000 pounds off a class eight truck, that could take all the margin off that truck. Right. So that's a big issue for for fleets that do max out to the 80 or 82,000 pound uh, loads. And, and I'm proud to say that today, Hyzon has the lightest zero emission truck on the market in the U.S. based on what's available in the heavy duty space. Yeah, the, that, that payload issue is certainly a, a huge component. Yeah, as we look at uh, uh, some of the new technologies and added weight, especially in, in battery electric uh, that you know really d- depended on. Uh, the type of freight you're hauling, you know, that can be a, a big 
uh, challenge. I think weight's a big issue, but the charge time and infrastructure side of it is also, I think, even more of an issue that we've seen in the last six to 12 months, right? These, these trucks need to charge um, or refuel. And um, while the grid appears to be accessible, available, and charging technology appears to be available, the realities of these fleets that we're working with who are trying both technologies is charge time is longer than it needs to be and the future megawatt charges aren't available. And even once those are available, um, if you're going to do back to base fleet decarbonization like food and beverage or drayage or, or, or point to point freight, you know, those trucks refuel behind the fence uh, today. And that's what is going to drive the decarbonization transition in, in trucking is back to base operations where they're going to prefer putting chargers or hydrogen refueling behind their fence, trying to put 10 to 20 megawatts of, of battery chargers behind a warehouse fence is nearly impossible in a lot of the country where we have density because the grid can't support it. Substations need to be rebuilt and expanded. You know, local distribution um, uh, grid capacity need to be expanded. And many trucking fleets that have tried to buy 100, 200 BEV trucks are seeing timelines of six plus years just to get chargers, um, along with the need to change their operations and how they refuel or recharge their their trucks. That typically today is a diesel truck coming behind the fence to refuel their trucks in a matter of an hour or so. So hydrogen provides advantages to all of that. We can put it in dispensing on on the ground with mobile fuelers to start and with uh, installed installed dispensing, you know, as delivery scale without that, that grid limitation and with the refueling time that's expected to be 15 to, to 20 minutes. Well, let's dive a little bit deeper into the, the business case and the, the economics, right? Uh, we started to compare a little bit, uh, you know, battery electric versus uh, fuel cell here. But uh, of course, you know, today the industry runs on diesel uh, almost entirely, you know, with a little bit of natural gas and some other alternatives here and there. But uh, when you look at uh, any sort of zero emission truck, you know, fuel cell trucks are going to be more expensive uh, than than diesel models, uh, certainly at the beginning. Uh, but they do enable you to get away from the volatility of diesel prices, you know, the ups and downs, you know, that the industry's uh, become so accustomed to. Uh, and of course, there are a lot of uh, government incentives out there that are available in a lot of places. So when you consider all those factors, what's it going to take for hydrogen fuel cell trucks to achieve cost parity with diesel uh, in the years ahead? Yeah, that's um, this is uh, I think one of the most important factors for large fleets that are that are looking to confirm their interest in hydrogen and to start a journey on fuel cell trucks is what is the pathway to get to diesel parity from a TCO basis, a total cost of ownership basis, uh, without the need for subsidy, so we can really scale. And the good news is we're already at cost parity with diesel in many parts of the world today with the subsidy that's available. And that is uh, an important uh, point to make that we actually achieve that with a with a truck price um, from Hyzon, where we actually have positive cash margin coming back to Hyzon in the large fleet trucks we delivered last year in the U.S. and that we expect to deliver this year as well. Right. Meaning we already have a truck that returns cash to Hyzon at a price that can achieve TCO parity with diesel, assuming that the fuel was in the tank at six to seven dollars a kilogram in the US and roughly eight euros a kilogram over in 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 uh, Europe. Um, the fuel side is actually the hardest part of that equation today and one that we um, struggle in California to find fuel at that price level, um, which we can talk more about later. But we're very confident in the pathway on fuel with the projects coming online that that will happen. And we're already at 
parity on OPEX, including fuel in Australia today. What has to happen to make this all subsidy free, and that is our goal to be clear, there is, this is not a business that works if you're perpetually reliant upon subsidy, um, is, um, is a clear path from a Hyzon perspective because we are centered in the fuel cell technology itself. That's Hyzon's um, core competitive moat, a 200 kilowatt single stack fuel cell system. Uh, we estimate it's roughly 25% lower cost to manufacture than two 100 to 150 kilowatt systems that competitors have to use because they don't have a 200 kilowatt plus single stack system. Along with the other efficiencies we built into the truck, such as using 350 bar pressure tanks instead of 700 bar, which are much more expensive. And in the future, using liquid hydrogen, which we've already demonstrated, our liquid onboard truck uh, with range, we're expecting up to 800 miles, um, which is a much less expensive uh, approach, uh, both in the future on the tanks on the truck and in the dispensing capex and cost to do liquid dispensing versus 700 bar. Um, that all combined with um, scale efficiency, scale economies, as we in the whole industry scales up a supply chain which is uh, ready to scale, but not real, realizing those benefits today, not just in the fuel cell manufacturing scale up, uh, driving costs down, but also in all the other componentry, right? The tanks, the, the, the um, batteries, the e-axles and power motors. And then finally, fuel efficiency. And the good news on fuel efficiency is today in comparable use cases, truck for truck, we're seeing roughly the same fuel efficiency as diesel in most of the use cases that we operate in which is a great start, but we expect it to get a lot better. Um, we actually anticipate based on our 200 kilowatt truck testing on the test track in the US, those early results show us fuel efficiency gains of up to 40% on the test track, which we think probably erodes a bit when you have real drivers and hills involved as we get to customer trials. But we still right now believe our fuel efficiency on the 200 kilowatt truck will be a 20% improvement versus diesel which is a massive impact on TCO because of the, um, the fact that half of the cost to a fleet or a truck driver over the course of that truck's life is, is fuel. So all that adds up to a picture where we believe in as short as four years, you know, we can be scaled to over a thousand, a thousand trucks a year, assuming our scale ups that we're um, driving with large fleets in our pipeline, you know, getting 10, 10 fleets at a hundred trucks, per fleet over a three to four step program, you know, at, 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 at a thousand fuel cell systems and trucks a year with the additional technology development and fuel efficiency gains, we actually project we will not need subsidy uh, once we achieve that scale potential and that, and that time frame on, on the truck side. Um, so we, we, we think the end of the decade is certainly achievable and it could be a few years before that, that we're, we're at TCO parity as an industry without the need for subsidy, at least on the, on the truck side. Okay. So we're talking, you know, potentially by the end of this decade, you know, not something that's a, a you know, far future situation. That's right. And that's, and that, that's, that's because, you know, frankly, while fuel cell technology has been in development for decades, right? I mean, Hyzon alone has been developing our fuel cell technology for, for, for 20 years through, through legacy company de developments. Um, in this use case, it's just now being optimized and the supply chain is just now being scaled, right? And it's something that doesn't face some of the issues that battery technology faces, right? On an all battery truck with scarcity of materials and cost of materials and scarcity of supply chain. You know, the highest, uh, the most scarce material in a fuel cell is platinum and that's 
um, you know, I think much easier for us to secure and scale given it's a very low quantity, uh, relatively speaking, in the fuel cell itself and can be recovered at the end of life. So all this means that while diesel has been through, you know, decades and decades of development and we'll see improvements, but they'll be incremental fuel cell technology and, and the TCO and fuel efficiency, we expect to make significant gains over the coming years as we, as we in the industry scale. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, just, just zooming out a little bit uh, to the, to the big picture and, and, you know, the reason why the trucking industry is, you know, within recent years, I'd say the, the last you know, handful of years really has been become much more interested in, in zero emissions vehicles. And, uh, you know, this is, this is, part of, of course, a, a shift in uh, regulations, um, you know, clean air regulators, especially in California, um, where we have the advanced clean trucks and advanced clean fleets rules, really pushing the industry to phase in zero emission vehicles. Uh, and zero emission vehicles basically means battery electric or, or hydrogen fuel cell, um, you know, in this case. Uh, so regulations are a huge part of this. Uh, from your vantage point, how are these emission regulations shaping the deployment of zero emission technologies in trucking? And how, again, you know, we talked about this a little bit before, but how can fleets evaluate those options and compare uh, battery electric for a certain uh, application versus hydrogen fuel cell uh, as those options become more important? Right. Well, this is a very critical you know, topic for us that we stay um, very close to, obviously, with our, our fleet partners and our fuel and, and hydrogen ecosystem partners that we have to bring this whole solution to market together with. Um, and the overall picture is quite positive in, in several parts of the world, including in, in, in the U.S. And I'll separate the question into, into two main components, right? When you think about government support, there's, there's subsidy availability, driving economics and driving adoption. Um, with a solution that that has the has the opportunity to scale and to get off subsidy, and then there's there's as you're saying regulations and requirements that help sort of force the issue, right? And on the first on subsidy, we're actually in a very good position. So um, in the US, we see a very clear three phase approach to scaling hydrogen technology um, in trucks to start um, with support from federal and state programs at significant scale. Um, the first phase being what we're in right now with California, right? Four hundred million, four hundred million dollars of heavy-duty truck uh, subsidy available today, um, which is not moving very quickly, uh, which gets a bit to the battery electric versus fuel cell point. Um, but that that has that subsidy is available today between the 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 general fund and in, in the HFIP um, car program and the drayage dedicated uh, fund, um, and that that can do you know, a significant number of trucks today um, over the next, you know, 12 to 24 months as we all start start to get going. That's, of course, for both hydrogen and battery uh, trucks. Um, but part of why it's slowed down in terms of funds flowing out um, is the, the, the relative slowdown of battery trucks being acquired and, and utilizing that program. Back in 2021, when the funding uh, opened for the HVIP, um, you know, two or three times a year, that funding would typically sell out in 20 minutes, literally 20 minutes. And now there's 400 million sitting there moving, but relatively slowly in part, we think because fleets are, are using battery trucks and seeing that they just don't meet the use case as much as they thought that they would. And there's major limitations on infrastructure as well, slowing down adoption. So California, we think persists and that is real and well, very well funded. Um, second is ports, right? So the zero emission port equipment fund within the Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA, 
That fund has $2.6 billion available for zero emission port equipment, which includes drainage trucks and fueling infrastructure on port property. And that's not just coastal ports, it's also inland ports. So we're quite excited about that program. The first grants are expected to be made in December of this year to ports, and we're supporting several ports in their applications of up to $500 million per port to transform and, and with drainage trucks and fueling as a part of the applications. For instance, we did the first trial of a fuel cell truck ever in the port of Houston in Texas, which is one of the top 10 ports in the country with about 7,000 drainage trucks um, to show that the technology is ready. And Texas actually in the triangle between Houston, Dallas, and, and uh, San Antonio is a tremendous use case with lots of fleet demand with the port subsidy that, that uh, the port of Houston, we hope, is able to uh, secure, um, along with the DOE hydrogen hub that Houston was awarded the high velocity hub. Um, so that's the, that's the third phase, right? Is, is the DOE hubs and that $7 billion we think is, is instrumental and foundational. When you look at how this lays out, you've got California and then the 15 or so other states, which signed on to the MOU to sort of follow California's success and lead, um, state level funding that we think in, in blue heavy states is, is rather secure to, to persist. You have the IRA port money coming behind that with awards starting into this year and hopefully money flowing as soon as 25 to then create these port-based hubs along the coast and some of the inland infrastructure. And then the DOE hubs, um, which provide a full ecosystem with trucking as part of five of the seven hubs that sort of fill in other parts of the country that where the states may not move as as uh, fast. And in Europe, I won't go into as much detail, but generally, you know, we see supportive subsidy at the EU level and several, you know, nations like Germany and, and France and, and the UK that um, we're excited about the funding situation uh, for that. On regulation, um, that is a, 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 you know, a bit of a different story in terms of there's a lot of uncertainty, even in California, as to exactly when those regulations will be you know, enforced. It's it, we 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 are here to support our fleet customers, um, and to support them in meeting their goals, whether they're regulatory driven or internal. You know, management and board driven. Um, so we don't really comment on the regulations, and and we're just here to provide a solution. But at the same time, you know, we look forward to working with fleets. You know, to help them meet the requirements, and and um, you know, we certainly see California as a critical proving ground. To make sure that we all we all get get this right, but the, the positive news for us and for the industry in general is even without the regulations, there are a number of large fleets who have board level mandates to drive adoption. Right, and one example is our anchor customer in the U.S. Performance Food Group or PFG, you know, the uh, fifth largest fifth largest private fleet in the country with seven thousand trucks. You know, they're a real leader in trying to drive impact in in ESG. And they have a stated public goal of taking 20% of the diesel per case out of their fleet by, you know, 2030. That's a real goal. That's a lot of trucks they're going to have to augment or replace. And so that's where, where we focus is on real large fleet leaders who want to drive decarbonization programs and where we can get them into, you know, an, an adoption cycle uh, that helps them achieve their, their uh, goals.
Hello, Roadside listeners. Dan Ronan here from Transport Topics. I'm here to tell you about our new extended cuts of the Road Signs podcast. If you like what you learn here, I think you're going to really love this. So what is the Road Signs extended cut? Well, instead of ending the recording and saying our guest farewells, we're keeping our expert guests around for an extra one or two questions to gather a deeper, fuller picture of the influential topics in transportation. We capture that insight and convert it into a printable download that will help you navigate the latest trucking trends and guide your next business decision. Considering the easy, linkable, and printable format, you can keep the extended cut for your next big meeting, send it to your friends and colleagues, or pack it up for your next big conference. So how do you get the latest download? Well, it's real simple. Visit ttn.ws forward slash extended cut. That's ttn.ws forward slash extended cut. A question that I think uh, always comes up is, you know, what are the types of trucking applications that might be the best fit for this type of technology? And, you know, you, you, I'd say that for the past several years, hydrogen fuel cell has sometimes been presented or described as a, a range extender for uh, electric trucks, right? I mean, keeping in mind the, the limitations, the range limitations of a battery electric and the, the weight added uh, to add the necessary battery to go longer distances, especially in, in a heavy duty trucking application. Uh, but what do you see, both I guess near term and longer term, uh, the right use cases for fuel cell electric trucks in the future? Uh, is this uh, in terms of length of haul, uh, the types of freight? You, know, you mentioned Performance Food Group, but uh, what do you see as the the types of trucks that are you know really a prime opportunity for hydrogen fuel cell? Yeah, look, I think this is um, becoming more and more clear. And, and the, the theme is those use cases are expanding away from battery towards fuel cell. And, and first, just to say it, when we, when we walk into a fleet and start working with the fleet on, on their decarbonization goals and, and where fuel cell can fit, we're not bashing battery electric, right? We believe all fleets will have both. It's all about finding the line on exactly what you're saying on, 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 um, on load, on range, and on uptime. And what's interesting is we've seen that line move towards fuel cell pretty significantly as fleets get more into um, battery electric testing and seeing what range is real, particularly in cold weather, uh, what, um, you know, the weight does to their economics and, you know, what charging infrastructure is realistic and how their operating uh, system has to change to rotate trucks to charge overnight, for instance, which they're not used to doing. So um, generally, if you'd asked me, you know, a year ago, uh, what what percentage of class eight market do you think goes fuel cell versus battery electric in a, in a, in a full zero world? You know, I, I would have said probably, you know, 60 percent fuel cell given all the long haul because there, there's a pretty stark line right now. Anything over 400 miles in a day, it's just really hard for battery to even approach that until there's significant improvements in battery technology without really uh, making a uh, a, a weight penalty that is just too much for fleets to for fleets to deal with. Um, but that line is moving uh, much lower because of range limitations um, that we're seeing and because of infrastructure challenges and costs on the charger side. So today we see fleets that, you know, anything down to 200, 250 miles, they're actually going away from battery. Right. And that's even for, 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 for fleets where these are not full loads. These are, uh, trucks that are packing out, meaning they're hauling bulky light stuff like shoes, right? That you would think would be a good fit for battery. They may be in a part of the country where there's a lot of hills 
And when battery has to, you know, absorb itself up and down hills, even a 200 mile route can be a challenge. Um, and you, when you look at places like the LA Basin, where a lot of the demand is today, if you go anywhere in the LA Basin more than 100 miles, you're probably climbing a hill. Um, so, uh, you know, really, we're seeing long term. You know, we need to have a truck that can they can really compete with diesel and they can go. We think you know above 600 miles, 700 miles. And that's why we were so proud of our liquid hydrogen truck demonstration with PFG in Texas. That was a real 16 hour day, 540 miles, fuel left in the tank, real operations with eight eight stops at customers. And we project that truck will go 800 miles once it's fully commercialized. Um, so we think we have the answer long term to compete with diesel. And with battery, even our truck today, which is about a 300, 350 mile, you know, range truck in most applications. You know, we're we're competing for a significant portion of the route tree, uh, where Bev just can't just can't deliver based mainly on real range across all weather conditions. And and if you ask me the question now, what do I think the total class eight market becomes in a true zero world? I think that number is probably 75 percent fuel cell. Okay, well, it's very uh, interesting to see you know how the technology will develop in the years ahead, and you know as fleets start to look at this on a application by application basis and, you know, what are the right options for, um, you know, their specific operations and specific routes. And, and yeah, I think the answer of course varies depending on the type of freight and the, the rent, you know, the, the range needed and, uh, even the region of the country and, and the conditions you're operating in. But, uh, uh, one of the issues that you've been touching on, of course, uh, is, uh, infrastructure. And that's, uh, I think an issue for, you know, any alternative fuel or uh, electric vehicle, uh, anything that's not diesel, where we already have a, you know, built out national fueling network uh, for battery electric, of course, there's a lot of challenges that the industry's run into in terms of working with um, utilities. Uh, that seems to be probably the biggest hurdle right now uh, is, is lining up the, you know, making sure that there's uh, access to the uh, support for the power demands needed in, in certain markets. Uh, and the wait time sometimes it takes to to get the you know, a, a, a new charging depot uh, up and running, uh, but there's also uh, the the same uh, similar fueling infrastructure question for hydrogen as well, right? There's a, there will need to be a build out of uh, hydrogen fueling infrastructure to to support uh, fuel cell vehicles. So how are you approaching that issue at Hyzon and, and getting that network in place, you know, to, to to support these vehicles that you see entering the market? Look, this is this is literally the um, the bottleneck today that we're working through with our fuel partners and with our fleets to get the decarbonization program started for many of these large fleets. And I've I've said publicly a few times that you know if we had better solutions for fuel today at Hyzon, we have completed you know eighteen major fleet trials in North America last year. Um, a number of those fleets are convinced that fuel cell is the way to go, and we're at you know. We, we know exactly how many trucks we want uh, to put to work together over a scale-up program, where they should go, et cetera. And the fuel is the last piece that we're finalizing and confirming with them, a feasible pathway on fuel that that allows them to have the confidence to enter into a multi-year agreement to scale up trucks. And multiple of those would be done by now if we had a better answer on fuel today. Um, and, and the good news is the answers are out there, right? The solutions are out there from a hydrogen fuel infrastructure perspective. Um, and it should come faster than battery electric due to the, you know, the multi-year delays that we're now seeing with battery chargers due to, due to grid restrictions. Um, and, and, and the answers look like the following. So, you know, if a fleet is, is excited to 
start their decarbonization of the fleet, their fuel cell, and they're going to commit to 50 or 100 trucks over three or four years, it's always going to start with two to five trucks in the first year, right? These fleets, and we as well, want to start with a small number of trucks that we and their operation can put into place that are easy to fuel, that are easy to service and maintain. They're easy for their service providers to train up on. And to get into this in the first year, really getting the experience with a meaningful number of trucks, but a nice first step. And then to scale that to, you know, call it 15 to 30 in the second year and call it 30 to 50 in the third year, et cetera, right? As we're scaling across probably multiple warehouse facilities. Um, the fueling mirrors that. So it's mobile fuelers today. So think of it as like, a, you know, a gaseous trailer that holds between 500 kilos and a ton of hydrogen on site with a dispenser where they're able to dispense and fuel up to typically 20 to 30 trucks if it's a one-ton trailer a day uh, with an operation that's pretty similar to how they how they uh, do diesel today, right? Which is on site with a diesel truck, right? Um, and those trailers can be swapped, dropped and swapped every day and and there's providers for that. Now that is expensive, right? It's not, it's not $6 a kilo, I'll say that. Um, so, but the good news is like fleets don't need $6 a kilo today to get going, right? These, these ESG leaders, uh, and what, and both private fleets that are doing it for their own benefit or for hire fleets that are doing it for their end customers goals, right? Um, want to get going and they want to start to see an impact and they want to learn so that as they see the fuel cost coming down, which that's the key thing that we have to lock in, um, right? That we're getting to six to seven dollars a kilo post subsidy in the tank by 2026 or 2027. So, you know, like the, the tactically, the vision is pretty clear. The fuel price environment and the infrastructure that we expect to put in place with our customers, we think has a very clear pathway to get to that six to seven dollars a kilo by 26 or 27 with on-premise dispensing and maybe semi-private dispensing, warehouse-based. And what we're solving right now is is getting, you know, the first two to five trucks fueled at a price that is, you know, not six, but doesn't need to be much lower than probably 15. And that is also feasible and something we can solve. So there's, the, this all takes partnerships, right? And Hyzon, we focus on the fuel cell and, and the truck today uh, with our partners. We bring fuel providers in that can provide these end-to-end solutions and, there's lots of big companies and big balance sheets that I think you've seen that we're very excited about some of the announcements that are out there, you know, Chevron making steps, Air Liquide and Trillium teaming up, you know, many others that um, are uh, are eager to provide fuel that uh, we just have to find the right um, the right structures to to get these these fleets going. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, switching back to the, the vehicle itself, let's talk a little bit about, you know, how Hyzon is commercializing this technology, right? So, you know, your company uses existing vehicle platforms uh, and, and upfits them with your fuel cell system and, and powertrain. So just tell us a little bit more about your your commercialization strategy at Hyzon and how you're bringing the technology to market. Yeah, and I'd love to clarify that because um, given our name is Hyzon Motors, people think that we're a truck company. And while we are, certainly are, um, you know, developing and deploying high quality, you know, fuel cell trucks today, the core of Hyzon is the fuel cell technology. So the business model, as, as you said, is, is really focused on how do we move this technology out into major fleets' hands and build a backlog in a business that meets their goals um, while only doing trucks as long as we need to with a third-party upfit model, having high-quality, you know, at-scale upfitters that do this every day 
to, to scale the output of our trucks. And, and we work with Fontaine Modification here in the U.S., who is very respected in the trucking industry of, of doing exactly this with various technology to the tune of 50,000, 60,000 trucks and trailers a year across 11 facilities in the U.S. And Charlotte, North Carolina, in their facility is where we're scaling production of our fuel cell trucks with them. Um, in Europe, we um, uh, have a third-party assembly partner that we're now working with um, it, to to really do the same thing. Uh, Australia, you know, today we're doing trucks in-house with a similar vision to have third party takeover as we scale. And and this all is leading to a place where my goal was to hand a thousand truck business to an OEM, right? Um, you know, that's that's where we want to be, which, which you know, there are OEMs that um, we obviously are in touch with that see what we're doing, that um, we know what it takes to uh, be that, you know, tier one supplier and partner and what, level of a business scale is interesting to, you know, someone who does a lot of trucks. Um, so it's very clear to us what we have to achieve with our customers to build a business that that is big enough that makes sense for us to be able to to step back and, and be a fuel cell powertrain supplier. And and that also allows us to to expand the technology into the next ecosystems. Um, and, and those ecosystems are things like stationary and re- remote power, right, where we have our, our joint development agreement in place with Slumberger, right? And there's lots of use case like data centers and hospitals and schools and remote industrial operations, like ironically enough, oil and gas drilling uh, that use a lot of diesel generator power today. That that a, a one megawatt mobile and or stationary you know fuel cell in a box makes a lot of sense. And that's where Hyzon's technology is advantage. You know the fact that we have a single unit that does 200 kilowatts and that power in a single stack, when others have to do you know 100 or 80 kilowatt fuel systems, if you're using, you know, 10 modules to get to two megawatts of power versus using, you know, 40 modules, right, or 30 modules, it's just not scalable, right? Um, so there's many others like ground support equipment for aviation, um, locomotives that, you know, we're excited about that we have either earlier advanced engagement with third parties that would scale our technology, assuming, you know, the development pathways opened up and we look forward to expanding our technology outside of trucks once the trucking ecosystem is is fully commercialized and and handed over to an OEM, which we don't think is too far out in the in the uh, future. Hey, Road Signs listeners, it's your man Mike Freeze here to tell you that the call-in lines are open. What does that mean, you may ask? Isn't this a podcast, not a radio show? You're correct. But we found a new way that you can call in and leave myself or my co-host, Seth Clevenger, a message. Leave us a message on new topics you'd like to hear more about or ask questions you may have about the trucking industry. Give us a ring at ttn.ws forward slash speak pipe. It's all very helpful and add some some clarity to, to how you're, uh, you're, again, coming to market and uh, so it was about a year and a half ago, um, I was actually able to experience a, a ride-along in a, in a Hyzon truck. Uh, this was in San Diego at uh, ATA's 2022 Management Conference and Exhibition and uh, you know, riding along. And I remember it was um, you know, through, through downtown San Diego. And you know, what I recall is a smooth, quiet ride. Uh, but overall, you know, not really that different of an experience from what you, you see and feel in, in the cab of a diesel truck. Uh, so really, how do you envision, you know, professional drivers reacting to fuel cell trucks as they start to become 
uh, more widely available in the market because, of course, driver uh, acceptance and uh, driver uh, you know, response to the vehicles is, is a very important issue for, for fleet operators. Well, it's, this is one of the most fun parts of my job is when our truck is out on trial or in ride along or in commercial operation, having these 20, 30 plus year um, Hall of Fame truck drivers. And I mean that we've had the we've had the um, the honor of having Hall of Fame truck drivers drive our truck. Uh, get in the truck and and they 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 just love it, right? It's quiet. Um, they can talk in the truck to a passenger and actually hear each other. Um, it's the lack of diesel, you know, fumes and coming home smelling like a diesel rag. Um, and you know, it's the torque and the power that the electric drivetrain provides, giving them a safer a safer experience as well. Because the most dangerous time for a truck driver and for the the, the motorist community at large is when a fully loaded semi-truck is trying to get up to speed entering a freeway. And when you're in a, an electric drivetrain, that acceleration factor allows them to merge much more seamlessly and, and more safely. So um, the reaction is strong. It's positive. They're excited about it. Um, the questions we get, you know, are around maintenance and service and, and functionality. And that's why part of our strategy has been to upfit into existing you know, OEM uh, equipment that they already know and trust. So when they get in our truck, they've been in our, our truck before. It just hasn't had a fuel cell in it, right? Um, and the way that we service the truck through the existing, you know, service provider networks that they already use, where we just subcontract in our techs on the fuel cell and high voltage side to train as long as it's needed. Um, again, it's it's an experience that the truck drivers used to and that, that, and that, that the fleet's used to with a truck they're generally familiar with just with incredibly improved performance, right? So we have drivers that when our, we actually had some fun experiences where the trial's over, we're ready to collect the truck and the, and the you know, the, the, the driver team, team lead comes in that day for his shift and goes, hey, do you mind if I take that truck out one more day? Because <laughs> they love the truck so much. Um, and, you know, uh, another topic I want to bring up is just sort of this emerging competitive space uh, for fuel cell. I mean, obviously this is still very early days, very early deployments, and still a lot of uh, R&D and an early investment. Uh, but, you know, it is something of a crowded field. I mean, Hyzon's not the only company pursuing this technology. Uh, you know, Nikola, a startup that's um, introducing hydrogen fuel cell trucks as well, uh, working with suppliers like Bosch. Uh, Daimler and Volvo, uh, of course, are big competitors in the Class 8 market, but they are working together uh, through their cell-centric joint venture on uh, uh, fuel cell technology. Uh, PACAR, you know, the parent of uh, Kenworth and Peterbilt, uh, is planning to deploy trucks uh, with fuel cell technology from Toyota. So there's really, uh, overall, across the commercial vehicle market, a, a pretty significant push toward uh, this technology with a lot of uh, investment behind it. You know, on, on one hand, yeah, yes, that points to a lot of competition in the space in the years ahead, but also some pretty broad agreement that uh, hydrogen fuel cell vehicles will be part of trucking's future. So, you know, Parker, when you sur survey this landscape, you know, what are your takeaways? You know, do you see this becoming a, a highly competitive segment of the uh, commercial vehicle market uh, in the future? Yeah, so I, I think, um, first of all, what's great from our perspective is um, the market opportunity here is significant. And it's so significant that many players can succeed with plenty of opportunity to scale even companies like us that don't need the volumes 
necessarily of some of the large OEMs to make this business be exciting <laughs> or, or to be cash break even, um, and to still have the big OEMs come in and, and that landscape, I think also will evolve, right? Like I said before, our goal is not to be a truck maker in the end, it's to be a tier one fuel cell powertrain provider. So many of the names you mentioned are names that we see as potential future partners that we're suppliers to. Um, but the market's going to, we think the market is, is significant and there's opportunity for many to succeed. Um, it will be competitive, but um, time frame is also important. So there were only two truck makers that commercially deployed trucks um, to customers last year in the U.S., us and Nikola. Um, we're excited to be a part of that early mover set. Uh, there's others that are in the market with you know, grant funding demonstrations or plans to bring trucks to market. But when you look at where they are, right, across many of the names you mentioned um, and, and, and some others, um, the timeframes appear to be extending out. And, and that's simple, we think. For a lot of the big established OEMs, you know, they have profitable businesses to run where they're going to need to supply diesel trucks for a, a long time at significant levels. And they also have other technologies that they're bringing to market, battery electric, uh, CNG in some cases, um, and uh, hydrogen combustion as well, right? So fuel cell is something that many of the names you've mentioned have said will come, but they're not in a huge hurry. And we think that we and other early movers have, you know, two, three, four year time frame where there's really not going to be much traditional OEM commercialization activity of actually delivering trucks to customers and trying to scale. So our, our view is simple. We just succeed in our goals for 24 and 25 and in, in, in um, launching decarbonization initiatives with major fleets. We get them into the multi-year agreements um, through their procurement cycles um, and set up the scaling and then deliver high quality fuel cell trucks to advance that from the first delivery to the second year delivery to the third year delivery now you're embedded in a fleet's decarbonization program with a solution that's working, with fueling that's working, uh, with confidence. And um, again, by that time, we're hopeful to, to be handing that over to an OEM to, to take it forward from, from there. So our success is led by the customer. And if we just achieve our goals, we feel very comfortable that both the market is, is significant and that uh, we're early enough that we'll be able to uh, create a business for an OEM to uh, benefit from. Yeah. And... You know, another question I wanted to, to bring up here is that, you know, the, you know, the, the natural progression that hydrogen fuel cell technology will make, you know, the technology improvements over time, uh, as you mentioned, diesel, of course, is very well established and has been refined and improved. Uh, the, you know, the diesel, diesel engine has been uh, improved for, for many, many uh, decades and we're you know, at an earlier stage of development for some of these new technologies like fuel cell. Uh, so just maybe your insights on and thoughts on how hydrogen fuel cell technology could advance uh, and improve in the coming years. Yeah, I think there's, there's tr significant opportunity for fuel cell technology and the fuel cell powertrain and mobility to improve. I mean, I gave some of the some of the facts previously, but, you know, starting with our 200 kilowatt single stack fuel cell system, you know, that's 25% lower cost to manufacture than two one ten kilowatt fuel cell systems, which we've made that leap. Others, you know, are working to catch up. That's a material, you know, reduction in, in cost per kilowatt, you know, for, for the fuel cell powertrain. 
additionally fuel efficiency, right? So I've talked about before, we're already seeing better fuel efficiency than diesel on our, on our test track today in the 200 kilowatt fuel cell truck. And that fuel efficiency, by the way, is with a traditional axle on the truck, not an e-axle, which once the e-axle is on the truck, which we're currently anticipating 2025 generation to have the e-axle on, that should provide additional fuel efficiency gains, right? Um, and that's for the truck application. We all, all we think we need is a 200 kilowatt with the right battery combination to give all the power and range that a truck needs. Um, we are also, you know, I've talked about our, our future 300 kilowatt single stack fuel cell, which we already have in concept stage and, and we'll start working on development of that in earnest once our 200 kilowatt fuel cell system achieves its start of production commercially in Chicago later this, this uh, year. Um, and that, uh, that technology advancement and the ones beyond that uh, really drive the other ecosystems that need higher power, like stationary and remote power, like locomotives, you know, like heavy off-road equipment and mining. That 300 kilowatt building block, now you're into a building block that is scalable, right? That if you're trying to get to a megawatt, it's, you know, three to four blocks instead of, you know, 10, right? Um so it's going to be scale, it's going to be cost efficiency, scale efficiencies, it's going to be fuel efficiency. And, and as with that, also durability, right? So we do, you know, currently uh, project and expect a goal of 800,000 mile durability for the fuel cell and the trucking application. We're, we're proving that, right? So that's all in our testing and durability process with our SOP. Um, you know, that's also what's what's advantage for Hyzon about being ahead, right? So by the time others achieve a 200 kilowatt single stack system, we may be two years down the line in improving durability and cost. So all this, we're excited about where fuel cell is going and where Hyzon is and sort of leading the the way. Well, very good. I see we're, we're running long on time here, but I'll, uh, I think, pose one final question to you, Parker. And you know, about the, the you know, kind of the, the overall ecosystem of, of powertrain options and, and fuel options for trucking moving forward. You know, of course, today, trucking runs almost entirely on diesel, but we're seeing all these different options beginning to enter the market. You know, that includes battery electric uh, and fuel cell trucks as well, but also combustion engines that will run on renewable fuels. Uh, you mentioned hydrogen combustion is one of the pathways uh, and, and is distinct from hydrogen fuel cell. Uh, at the same time, diesel engines will continue to become more efficient to meet you know, greenhouse gas and NOx emission standards. So you can imagine fleet operators in the future facing some pretty hard decisions about what powertrains and technologies are the right fit for their business when there's so many options uh, potentially in the marketplace. So, so as you project forward, as you look ahead, do you see a place for all these technologies in the future or do you anticipate a, a smaller number of winners of, of viable technologies taking hold? Yeah, so look, I think I think that um, it will be a mix of technology, right? Because fleets have are varied in their in their goals. We do think in the end we are headed towards a true zero world, right? And today, at least, the only true zero solutions are battery electric and fuel cell, right? Um, hydrogen combustion uh, does have NOx and SOx issues that, if you control them, you know, our understanding based on current technology has a uh, a performance impact on power. Right, um, you know, CNG can be a great step in reducing emissions versus diesel, but again, it's not a true zero solution. Um, so, in the end, we still think true zero is fuel cell and battery, and fuel cell is the majority, and an, an increasing majority. However, 
in the transition, absolutely, you're going to see all these technologies, right? Certain fleets um, aren't as focused on true zero today. So they're willing to take a first step with CNG or with H2 combustion. Um, diesel will still be a big part of our fleet for a long time, right? So uh, this is not an overnight change or even a 2030 change. I mean, even if we achieve our goals as an industry by 2030, we're, you know, I think we're only going to decarbonize like single digit percentages of the, of the, of the U.S. fleet, right? So um, look, we all have great ambition. It's all the right things for us to be doing. And the good news for us and for others in our space is there are firms that there are major fleets, again, like our, our anchor customer PFG that want to make an impact now, that want to get started, that believe in true zero. And there's plenty of that um, interest and, and real goal for us to, to scale this technology. You know, we think relatively quickly in this, in this decade, well, we all need to take a, a customer backed view, right? That again, this is not about saying this is bad or that's bad. And this is, this is better. Um, it's about what works best for fleets and what achieves their goals. And there's plenty of opportunity for us to, to scale fuel cell technology with fleets that really want to go true zero faster. So certainly a, a long road ahead uh, with these, uh, this, this shift in technology and, and we're really still in the, the early miles, but, uh, uh, this will be a fascinating, uh, time in the industry's history, really. Uh, and, you know, some of the early adopters, uh, that are out there now are, are helping to, to shape it. But, uh, you know, Parker, this has been a great conversation. I think we're at a, a good stopping point here before we hit the hour mark, at least. Um, but uh, thanks for joining the podcast and sharing your insights. I really appreciate your time and and, uh, and your thoughts. Really enjoyed it, Seth. Thanks for having me and I look forward to keeping the discussion going. Absolutely. Did you know you can ask Alexa to open transport topics? In just one minute, you will hear the biggest trucking headlines of that day. Be prepared and start your morning off right with transport topics. Before we close, let's take a moment to revisit our original question. How, where, and when can hydrogen fuel cell trucks fit into the freight transportation industry? As we've heard during this episode, hydrogen fuel cell is one of the technologies that can make zero tailpipe emissions a reality in trucking. And that's especially important as government regulators and a growing number of large shippers with corporate sustainability goals take steps to reduce carbon emissions. But there are many hurdles to overcome, including the need to develop hydrogen fueling infrastructure to support these vehicles. And like any other technology, fuel cell trucks ultimately will need to provide a return on investment for fleet operators to succeed in the marketplace. Despite these challenges, the significant investment in hydrogen fuel cell technology across the industry clearly highlights its potential for the commercial vehicles of the future. If you've enjoyed this episode of Road Science, please let others know. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If my questions have sparked questions of your own, share them with me and the Road Science team. You can email us at share at ttnews.com. We'll read them and respond daily. Also, let us know how we did by texting TT Survey to 571 622-0001. And of course, we'll be back soon with a fresh episode of Road Signs. Until then, I'm Seth Clevenger. Thank you for listening.